Dear congregation, we all need guidance, no matter who we are. And it is because we don't know so well how to lead ourselves. When we look at our society, don't you find that those who have studied much, those who make it their business to lead our nation, they're at a loss how to do so. And this happens in church life, this happens in families, especially as we stand at the beginning of family life, newly married, a child in our hands. Which way are we to go? What are we to do? Who will guide us? How can I be sure that I'm on the right road? The Word of God is our guide. And the Word of God speaks about a most surprising and amazing way in which the Lord guides His church and His people. And we wish to hear it with the Lord's help from the passage that was read this morning, Isaiah chapter 11. And our text words can be found in the middle and the end of verse 6. I'll read the whole of verse 6. And we'll look at this in the context of this chapter. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Thus far the words of our text. The theme looking to the Lord this morning is the amazing power of God. We'll see the new beginning he effects, the remarkable results he brings about, and the blessed leader he appoints. The amazing power of God, the new beginning, the remarkable results, and the blessed leader. The opening words of this chapter are familiar to many, if not all of us. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Isaiah, as you can tell from this chapter and other chapters, he's one of the most graphic poets in the Bible. He paints, as it were, every time he opens his mouth. On the canvas of Scripture, we have such beautiful pictures. And the picture in this opening verse is of a tree. Young people and children, that's been cut down. Have you ever seen maybe a mighty oak or some other large tree that was just sawn down or broke down? And there it is, this great, magnificent tree. Many birds made their nests in it. The leaves were so beautiful. In a moment, it's cut down, and all that's there is a stump, dry, dead. The picture is of what the Lord would do with his nation, his peculiar people, Israel, whom he had chosen. Because of their sin, you can read of this at the end of chapter 6, the Lord would cut down this great nation that once had known many blessings, benefits. There would be a stump, nothing more. And you look at that and you say, 
Can anything good come out of that? But you look again, and the prophet says, there shall come forth a rod or a shoot, literally, a shoot springing up from this cut-down tree out of this stump. And when you see a shoot, as maybe you've seen, grow out of some or other um, stump, that, the tree that was cut down, the shoot seems very small compared to the tree that originally was there. And yet, this shoot tells us something. It tells us about the miracle of new life bound up with the roots that lie in God and in the soil of His grace. Job 14 verse 7 says, For there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. And so it is also in the life of nations and in this particular case, when all hope is gone, when death seems to be the only thing reigning, there is yet a God of miracles, a God who can bring forth life out of death. And even the children here, they know that this verse is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was to come in the fullness of time when Israel was no longer a nation, did not have its own king, when it was for all intents and purposes a cut down tree, a stump and nothing more than there in Bethlehem, the city of David, but not in a palace, but there outside, in the open air or in some cave or so, there was one to be born, king of the Jews, a shoot from Jesse. Now Jesse is the father of David. And so this is a reference to a new David and a better David who would come at some distant time. And this new David would be an ensign. He would stand as an ensign, verse 10 says, which is a banner. And to this banner would all the nations gather. People would come to him. And so he switches the picture here from being the stump and then the shoot. And by verse 10, it's become a strong banner that's been lifted up and raised up so much so, so remarkably so, that Gentiles, and they're listed here at the end of chapter 11, Philistines, Moabites, Edomites, Egyptians, Assyrians, they will all come from far. They'll come to this what was a shoot, but now is an ensign, a banner. And who goes to a banner? Well, soldiers, they gather there. Fighters, people who come under a banner, rally under a banner. We read, and his rest shall be glorious. To it shall the Gentiles seek, verse 10, and his rest shall be glorious. Well, is there any doubt that this is the Lord Jesus Christ? Who else can give rest? He promised rest. Come unto me, he said. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
People of God, you know something of this, don't you? Your own souls experienced heavy laden, overborne. There you were, the burden of transgression and of sin. No rest, no rest, no rest wherever you turned. No rest for the sole of your feet, but his rest. The rest he has obtained and the rest he brings to his restless people. His rest shall be glorious. You may experience just a little bit of it now, but it shall be glorious. Well, Isaiah goes on to exalt this Lord Jesus Christ as being full of the Spirit. Look with me at verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. In the book of Revelation, on two occasions, you can read about the seven spirits of God that are before the throne of God. Seven spirits. And when you look here at verse 2, and you, uh, lit, you, you, num, you count all the references here to the Spirit, you realize that there are seven spirits here. Seven things that are aligned with the Spirit. And this is, of course, just simply a picture of the totality of that full and glorious Holy Spirit, which we all so desperately need, and which was upon Jesus Christ. He was full of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said, in order that he might preach good tidings to the poor. In order that he might grant liberty to the captives, the opening of the eyes to them that are blind. In his baptism particularly was, what, was when it was pictured the spirit as a dove rested upon him. And the heavens were opened. And God declared from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the spirit was there as a dove. And there was a fullness of the spirit that came upon the mediator for his uh, anointing and appointment as a mediator here on the earth. What a fullness of the Spirit. And it's a fullness that you and I need. We lack the Holy Spirit by nature. We don't have these things, this wisdom, this understanding, this counsel and might, this knowledge and fear of the Lord by nature. We lack the Holy Spirit by nature, but we need him, don't we? Don't you need counsel and knowledge and might and the fear of the Lord? Don't you know that in your own soul that you lack these things as you live out life? Don't you ever think it, it should be different in my life, you know? I just don't know things the way I should know them. I don't have the strength that I need for life. When I look honestly at my life and I say, do I have the fear of God? Do I really reverence God? Do I have that respect for God, my maker? My actions don't show it and my heart doesn't know it. But my friend, he has the Spirit. He has the fullness of the Spirit. He has the seven spirits, so to speak. 
in the language of Revelation. It rests upon him. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. If you have him, you have everything. Everything that you need. It lies with him. It'll never be upon you apart from him. But seek it with him. Seek it with this Lord Jesus Christ. Who will come as a root. Who will come as a shoot, as a rod. Out of the stem of Jesse. And the remarkable thing, congregation, is that he uses all this that is given to him through the Spirit. He uses it to exercise judgment for the oppressed. Look at verse 3. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes. He won't be like human rulers who simply follow their own instincts and their own intuition. He will not judge that way. Neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips shall he slay the wickedness, wicked and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. When we look around us, we, we don't like corrupt leaders, do we? Even the most corrupt in our society, they, they take issue with those around them who are corrupt. So it is. We've been made in the image of God. And even though we're blind with respect to ourselves, yet we demand from others that they have true leadership. And when we see inequity in the earth, injustice, the lack of righteousness in the courts and in our systems, then, then, then we're angry and we're afraid. But here we have one who has the fullness of the Spirit and he leads into all truth. And he doesn't judge after the hearing of his ears or after the sight of his eyes meaning having respect unto persons but with righteousness, with equity. With just judgment does he rule. And that's what you need. And that's what I need. O God, be thine anointed son with truth and righteousness. Endowed that justice may on earth be done. The meek protected from the proud. That's what we need. That's what you need. And it lies in him. It lies in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it lies so in him that Isaiah says, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, his belt, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. That means that everything that marks him, that holds the whole of him together, is righteousness, truth, faithfulness. The picture here is if in old times you had a judge, a leader, and you were oppressed, and you needed them to take up the law on your behalf, on your side, against some oppressor. Maybe you were a widow, you were an orphan. You'd been wronged, or you'd go to the judge and you'd take hold of their belt. This was a symbol, as if to say, take it up for me. 
That belt, that girdle marked their character. It held them together. They were clasped, as it were, with righteousness and judgment. In congregation, spiritually speaking, what it means is that the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter who comes to him and takes hold of him, finds in him that he is true, that he is faithful, that he is righteous. And he uses this spirit of God, which is his, in his ministry, he uses it for the righteous purposes of his God in the lives of sinners like you and like me. Because all of us congregation need a righteousness outside of ourselves. We don't have it. We will never have it. But he has it. Righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Can I praise this mediator any, any more highly than that before you? It's he who you need. All of you. This righteous king. I wonder, congregation, if you've gone to him, if you sought at all with him. Well, perhaps you say, listen, my life has just been so unrighteous that I'm afraid that if I go to him, he will do what it says there in verse 4. Smite me with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. That's me. Don't you see that? Yes, my friend. When you go as a beggar to this Lord, you take hold of his righteousness in the gospel as it lies firm in Jesus Christ, then all your sin that you've committed throughout all of your life, it is covered by his righteousness. So superabounding is his righteousness. We can only be made righteous before God by having the righteousness of Christ imputed to us for justification so that our record before the sight of God is clean, pure. God sees no iniquity in us. How blessed is he whose transgressions have been forgiven whose sin is wholly pardoned in the sight of heaven. The Lord, to whom the Lord imputeth no unrighteousness, but righteousness, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Savior of sinners. Still today. The congregation, this new beginning that the Lord undertakes in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for the justification of sinners... This also leads, secondly, into remarkable results, into an inner transformation, into what we might call sanctification. This is verses 6 through 8. 6 through 8, the wolf also shall lie with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And it goes on to speak about how the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. What's Isaiah picturing here on the canvas of his oracle? Well, let me ask you this, children. Have you ever seen a wolf 
lying peacefully down with a lamb next to a lamb? Or a lion with a calf? No. That doesn't happen in everyday life. Because of the fall, there is this different nature. And these natures find expression. And we are used to speaking like that. The Bible speaks about it often. It, it speaks of people and compares them with beasts, with, with animals. And we do the same thing. We'll say about a certain person, you know, that, that person is a bear. We'll say that about somebody. What that means is that person has a nature that finds expression in, 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 in violence, in, in, in whatever characterizes a bear. And congregation, before we go any further, let's, let's look at this for ourselves. What is your nature? What does the Lord see in you? Isn't it also good? It isn't also good, is it? So much conflict in life. We sometimes say that. We say it's, it's a dog-eat-dog dog world. And, and we're part of that. We have that nature that's so defensive, so aggressive often. We claw here. We tear someone over there down. It's in our nature. Galatians 5 verse 15, Paul says, But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye are not consumed one of another. Sadly, in the church, this also happens. We spoke about that this past Wednesday, how often in the church you have strong versus weak and weak versus strong, and there's this back and forth. The wolf does not lie down with the lamb so easily. Not in the church. Certainly not in the world. Have we faced our nature before God? Instead of pointing the finger at one another and seeing the bad in, in one another, do we, do we stand before God and say with Asaph, you know, Lord, I, I am as a great beast before Thee. We come to recognize that. It's important for parents also to realize that their nature by itself is such that there's no way left to yourself that you can train up these children, these little defenseless children, simply by yourself, with that nature that you have inside. We need another nature. We need a new nature. We need the Lord to work that inner transformation in our heart. And what this passage tells us is that the Lord does this by His grace and Holy Spirit. Because He says here, and this is His word, that the wolf shall lie down with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. What a vision of peace and tranquility. 
But behind that, what a vision of transformation. You see, there is hope for me. And there is hope for you. No matter what your nature is. No matter what you have been up to this time in your life. The Lord is able to make such a difference in our life. That we're not just simply after biting and consuming one another. But grace overpowers us and grace makes us new. And the peace of God reigns in our heart. And it finds evidence in our lives and in our families and in the church of God. Now, some people have said, you know, this belongs to a different age. This is, this is something about the millennium uh, that, that's in a future time. That's not now. But that is not, not faithful interpretation of the word of God. Because these oracles of Isaiah, they're speaking of what Christ has in principle brought into this world. This rod out of the stem of Jesse, we know, we, we, we know what that is. That's the birth of Christ. That's his coming here into this world. And what did he do? He preached the gospel. And what happened is all kinds of people came under the reign of his grace and they were transformed from the inside out in principle. And so you had a Peter who left to himself was a self-seeking, arrogant, proud person who no doubt left to himself would step on all kinds of people around him, but he's someone who under the hand of God and by the grace of God's Holy Spirit, he is broken. Oh yes, it's an ongoing process. Many times Peter had to be reproved, rebuked. Get thee behind me, Satan. On one occasion, the Lord Jesus Christ had to say. Paul had to withstand him to the face. We, we mentioned that on Wednesday. So it's an ongoing process, but something has changed in Peter's life. Or take Paul. So speaking of ravening wolves, Saul, before his conversion, was a ravening wolf. He woke up in the morning and he wondered who could he devour? Where could he find Christians to take to prison and stone and slaughter? He breathed out threatenings from morning till night and even in his sleep, no doubt. He, he, he plotted against others and what happens? By the grace of God in his life, he is transformed. By the grace of God, he is what he is. So he can go to Philippi and by the riverside he meets one Lydia. And he speaks the word of God and Lydia believes. Takes heed to the things that Paul has said. He goes into her house. And a few days later the, the Philippian jailer who from all, from all appearances is, is an absolute lion or, or bear in terms of his his, his spirit and his character. What happens? What must I do to be saved? And this man takes Paul and, and Silas into his house and he binds up their wounds and he puts oil into their wounds. What, what's happened? The wolf lies down with the lamb. There's a change by the grace of God in the hearts of these people. 
Then you read the book of Acts and you read the epistles of Paul and you read the whole word of God and you realize that grace does this through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in hearts like yours and like mine. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saves wolves, wretches like you and like me. Now this, of course, does not mean that in the church everything is well. I just indicated that. We've spoken about that in the past. Sadly, there is division. Sadly, there is fighting, even within the flock of God. But that is not because the grace of God is not powerful. And the grace of God is not an exercise under the preaching of the word and by the spirit of God in our hearts and lives. But we must pray for it and we must seek for it. We must all together be crying to God, Lord, change my wolf nature and help me in the church of God to seek the peace of one another. The Lord says in, 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 in Romans 15, verse 7b, he says, Receive ye one another, even as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And that's what we need, and we need to pray for that. And the Lord can give that. And of course, this doesn't mean either that all is so well in the church of Jesus Christ that we never have to drive a wolf out of the church of Christ. No, don't be mistaken about this. What, what Isaiah is picturing here is the, the ideal, which the Lord is already beginning in this, in this life, but he's going, to, he's going to continue that until the very end. And in the new creation, there indeed, there will be no wolves whatsoever. But even in the book of Acts, with transformations like with Peter and with Paul and with others, there was still a Simon the magician that needed to be driven out of the community of the, faith, the faithful. There was still an Ananias and a Sapphira. William Perkins even says that preaching has two goals. The first is to draw the sheep of God to the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. But he said the second aim of preaching is to drive the wolves out of the church of God. To drive them out. That's what preaching is to do. You see, there's still this ongoing process. But this is the vision and this is what Christ does through his grace in hearts and lives. And for that we must pray. And parents too, pray for your children that their nature, which is depraved like your and yours and mine, that it would be transformed. And that they would see days in the life of the church in which wolf and lamb would, would lie down together. And the lion would eat straw like, like an ox. That predatory nature that characterizes so many that that would be eradicated. And that something of creation, the original creation, would, would again appear. Sin has ruined so much. Also in the church. And we need to face that and be honest about that. And yet God's grace is powerful and that is our hope. And perhaps you're here today and you say, by God's grace, I am not what I once was. And I'm not what I one day will be. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
And we see, congregation, how the Lord Jesus Christ does everything. He not only justifies sinners, which we saw in verses 1 through 5, he also sanctifies sinners, verses 6 through 8. But we also want to see thirdly, and for time's sake, briefly, the blessed leader he appoints. And with this, I zero in on the last words of verse 6, which I skipped over until now. And a little child shall lead them. A little child shall lead them. Well, the picture here is, is amazing, isn't it? Here you have all these predatory animals. Yes, they've been transformed, but a little child is leading them. Children, imagine that. Lions, wolves, bears. There's a little child, three, four, five years old, little child, leading those animals. You see the picture, don't you? The Lord chooses the weak things of this world to confound the mighty. The base things of this world to confound the wise. The Lord works in a surprising way. He chooses the small. He chooses the weak. He chooses that which is not esteemed by by man, generally speaking. He bypasses all of that. He already did that in verse 1, the shoot out out of the stump of Jesse. He goes small. That exemplifies his grace and manifests His grace, His power, that all the praise would go to Him. In congregation, this is what the Lord and the Lord's wisdom determined to do in the fullness of time. I already mentioned that the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world born of a woman, born under the law. He came as small as these children here today, even smaller did not despise the womb of Mary, but he came, the Son of God, who made this world simply by speaking. He came so small. Eternity, infinity contracted in a span, as someone has said. There he is, and he lies in the manger in Bethlehem. No earthly power, no earthly might, no palace, no throne, no earthly title, no earthly crown. In the world's eyes, the Lord Jesus Christ remained nothing but a child. You can even read of this in Acts chapter 4 where, the, where Peter preaches the Lord Jesus Christ and he speaks about God's holy child. And he uses a word there that really is, is, is just, just a, a little child. Indeed, he grew up. But in the world's eyes, Christians follow not a mighty man, but a child. Someone weak, someone lowly, someone not esteemed. But the Lord would have it so. All his life long, the Lord Jesus Christ was the child of his Father. I seek to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. 
I've come to be about my father's business. Do you hear him? Do you hear how he speaks? The child of his father. A little child shall lead him. Congregation, are you being led by the Christ child, the Lord Jesus Christ? For that our pride must go. Our great designs for ourselves and for this world and all the rest of that must go. We must leave it all behind. It's interesting, isn't it, when the news of the Christ child came to the fields of Ephrata, who followed the directions of the angels? It was the shepherds. It was the small people. The least honorable people. But when Jerusalem heard, when the palace heard, when Herod heard, when the scribes heard, that there was a Christ child, no one went. They didn't need, they didn't want a little child to lead them. And so I ask you, how about you? Do you need to be led? You feel that in your own soul. Guide me, guide me, guide me, O thou great Jehovah. I am weak, but thou art mighty, guide me. I can't do without thy leading, without thy guidance in my my life. And the Lord directs you to his Christ child. And he says, a little child shall lead them. And congregation, from out of this little child Christ, this Christ child, there comes this principle that he says to his church and people, don't seek to be great. Become like little children. He set a child in their midst and said, except you become like little children, you cannot enter into the, ch- the kingdom of God. And so what the Lord is saying to you and to me today here in this special service of baptism is you saw those little children, how small they were. You need to be like that. You need to be small in my sight and in my eyes. Nothing in your hands you bring. Nothing you can bring. Simply, poor, weak, naked, sinful. Nothing to your name. Helpless. To the fountain fly. That's the way. That's the only way. These children here this morning, they show you the way. Simply be brought to the fountain, open for sin and for uncleanness. A little child shall lead them. But I wonder, are you going? Are you being led? Are you following them? Have you gone to the fountain? Have you gone to this Christ? It's all with him. So often we think we need to become something before we can go to Christ. I need to know more. I need to read more. I need to work harder. I need to clean myself up. I need to get rid of this. Need to get rid of that. 
These children this morning, they were simply carried to the Lord. That's what you need. That's what I need. And the amazing wonder is that the Lord is pleased to lead sinners like you and like me. A little child shall lead them. Anyone who comes to him, he'll lead you. He'll lead you. It's all his leading. He'll lead you day by day. When you stray, he'll come. He'll get you. He'll put you back on the path. He'll even carry you on his shoulders. He'll lead you. Do you need it? Are you being led by this Savior? This Savior of sinners. Come then. Come as a child. And nothing at all. Weak, helpless, needy, dependent. Don't ask about the future. These children aren't asking about the future. Follow every step of the way. This is the way. Walk ye in it. To follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes. That's the way to Zion. Congregation, it's all in Christ. It'll never be in you. It'll never be with me. It's all in him. But to simply go behind him. To crawl behind him. To call even from behind him. Lead me. You'll be led. And all praise will be to him. Amen. Let's give thanks and pray. Gracious, good doing, almighty Lord God, we confess that so often we want to be something, to become something, to be great in the eyes of others and in the eyes of ourselves. But make it different today. May we be helpless, helpless to the fountain fly, to be washed, to be cleansed, to be made new, to be led, to be guided. This is thy way. Lord, help us to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to see what a miracle it is that as the rod out of the stem of Jesse, he came into the midst of our death that we deserved, and he took it. For the likes of me, who should have otherwise perished everlastingly, and he gives life. He gives a new nature. That wolf-like nature of my own heart is exchanged for a new nature. Oh, yes, I have to daily struggle against the weakness of my faith and the evil lusts of my flesh. And so often, too, Lord, in thy church, there's still such biting. Lord, make it different. May this church be a place where the lion lies down with the lamb, where thy grace is all sufficient, where the Lord Jesus Christ leads this flock, not in worldly wisdom, not in worldly pride, but in the way of the Son of God in our nature until we arrive 
at Zion. Lord, bless thine own word to our hearts. Mix it with faith. Even a seed of faith, Lord. We pray thee that those who are bent on following their own heart, Lord, that they would break. That they would realize that outside are dogs, wolves. Yet today thou art able and so willing to change the hardest heart. Lord, do it for thine own name's sake and receive all the praise. Be with the parents, Lord, who have brought their children today. We pray thee that the parents too would be children in this sense, that they would come after thee and that they would instruct their, their, their children as children, not seeking to know what God's wisdom has denied, rather to follow him every step of the way, even when it doesn't make sense, even when the way is hard, if they may but know and believe that the Lord Jesus is the leader. We pray thee for those who are troubled, deeply troubled in their soul. Lord, come and minister thy grace to them in their hearts and lives even now. Prepare us, Lord, we pray for what awaits us, May we be content to be but little children at thy feet. And all this out of free grace in Jesus' name, amen.